John chapter number 17. John chapter number 17. Tonight I just want us to spend some time looking at Christ's high priestly prayer. um, Titled the message, The Hour, the Honor, and the Hope of the Cross. The Hour, the Honor, and the Hope of the Cross. This morning we spent some time out of Mark chapter 10 considering the cross and what Christ had foretold what he would go through as he was making his way to Jerusalem, as he was preparing his disciples. So tonight we want to continue that theme. And uh, last week we spent some time looking at a prayer from the Apostle Paul that he prayed for a group of believers. Tonight we want to consider a prayer of Jesus Christ and his prayer for not only himself, but for the believers as well as the church. And, and so tonight we want to consider that. This is, uh, this I believe is literally the Lord's Prayer. Oftentimes we would go to uh, Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 6 rather. Uh, Lord, give us this day our daily bread and, and that prayer. That is the model prayer. You know, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray and uh, the direction in which to pray to and what to pray for. And so that would be the model prayer that he was used as a teaching moment. Here is the prayer that Jesus prayed as he was with his disciples. And they're just very close to the cross, uh, the happenings, the, 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 what was about ready to take place. And Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he gets away again and he spends some time before the Lord in prayer. This is... I believe, the Lord's Prayer that we find recorded in the Scriptures. John 17, verses 1 through 8. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son and thy Son also, excuse me, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I am come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Here is the Lord's prayer, the high priestly prayer of our Lord. He's praying to the Father, the Father in heaven, as he's looking towards the cross. I want us to consider a couple things, and I mentioned them in the introduction or in the title. I want us to see the hour, the honor, and the hope that we find in the cross, and I think we can see out of this particular passage of Scripture. 
He mentions, first of all, out of verse number one that we read, the hour, the hour. The hour is come, he says, the hour. One of the many things that we find in John's gospel is this reference to the hour which Jesus has come. It's first mentioned in chapter 2 and verse number 4. He mentions the hour. Uh, the hour is not yet come. He mentions that. Um, so it's, uh, it's oftentimes repeated in John's gospel. The hour spoken of here, we know that to be the cross. The hour that he's speaking is the cross, the cross of Christ. Uh, not just one aspect of it, but the entirety of it. Uh, from the beginning until the end, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. This hour that he's speaking of is a point in time. A point in time. Uh, it is a purpose given to it. It's a point in time, but it's also a purpose. This hour, uh, it was a time that would definitely come as though we would have set our clocks or our watches or our schedules by a particular time, the time when I must be at a certain place, this was the time. It was a definite point in time in history, but it's also a purpose, the hour, the purpose when Christ would die upon the cross, when he would take the sins of the world upon himself. It will forever be the proclamation, this hour will forever be the proclamation of the gospel message. It's because of this hour that we have a gospel message. It would forever be repeated. And every time the gospel is given and every time the word of God is opened, uh, every time a tract is given, an invitation is given, it all revolves around this hour. It all revolves around the cross, the proclamation. This proclamation that we find in the gospel message is a proclamation of love. It's a proclamation of redemption. It's a proclamation of salvation. That's what the church is all about. It should be. If it's not, it needs to get back to the Bible. It needs to get back to this message. It needs to get back to the understanding of the importance of the hour. Jesus came to this earth for this hour. He came to this earth for this point in time. He came to this earth for this purpose for which he came to die. He prepared his disciples for it. We saw that this morning. When this time finally came, and he was now just literally hours from it as he's praying here, I'm thankful that God, that Jesus Christ did not shrink away from it, did not fall away, but he fulfilled it. Again, reminded this morning, he's faithful. He's faithful. He walked the Calvary road. He finished the Calvary road. He went all the way. He didn't stop short. I'm so thankful for that. Verse number one, again, the hour has come. The time of death was soon, and Jesus is here praying. A needful question to ask is, have you ever given any thought to the hour of your life? To the hour of death? Here Jesus was mentioning the hour. It would be the time when he would die. Have you given thought, or maybe you're listening by or watching by live stream this evening. Have we given thought to the hour we may die? 
there's a time coming for every individual short of the rapture when the saints of God are caught away and that's certainly Bible but up until this time people, men, women, boys and girls they've come upon the scene of life and history and they've passed on they've passed on the hour came the hour when death comes to every man it's appointed a man once to die that's the hour And after that, the judgment. Have we given thought, and my fear is that there are people around the world who have given little or no thought whatsoever to that. And if the thought would come up of this kind of hour, the hour of death, then there would be something to whisk it away as quickly as possible. To remove it from the thinking. And so much of the world is headlong in the removal of that kind of thinking that they, they're headlong into to sin, into pleasure, into the, the licentiousness of this world so that they might somehow become intoxicated with those things so they'd not think about the reality of the hour. There will come a point in time for all men, women, boys and girls, for all people, there will come a time of death for us all. Now, for the born-again child of God, death has no sting. Amen? The grave has no victory. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That sure shreds a whole lot of things and punches a whole lot of holes in some theology that goes around in our day that says there's some soul sleep going on. And when we just go to the grave, we just lie there in soul sleep. No, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The born-again Christian, death is not and is not meant to be, nor should it be, a fearful thing. The death of the Christian is not meant to be a fearful thing. If we could hear from those who have passed on uh, through the death's door and and found their, their feet on shore, found their feet in heaven... If we were to ask them, would you, would you, if it were even possible, would you come back to this old earth? And they'd say, not in a thousand, not in a million years, or a million lifetimes would I ever come back. No, I'm home. This is home. It is not to be a fearful thing. It is merely the door that opens wide, allowing God's children to come home for eternity. The eternal home is heaven. And whether we pass through that door by way of death or the rapture, we will all go one way or another. I be honest, I look forward to the rapture. Amen. But it may come the other way. But that's the entrance. That's the the door that's open. And that's what enters us into. It gets us out of the mortal and puts us into the, the realm of the immortal. It's a transition that takes place. The eternal home is to be absent from the body, to be yet to be present with the Lord. But for the lost sinner, death is dreaded. It's dreaded. For the unsaved, death is also a doorway, but not to heaven, but to hell. The doorway 
for heaven is forever shut. Once death comes to that individual who's not put their faith in Jesus Christ, that doorway to heaven is forever shut and locked and no entrance available. I pray, Father, send Lazarus, send someone to just dip their finger bit of water to cool my tongue. It cannot happen. There's a great gulf fixed between us. It cannot happen. That door is forever shut. In life, you could look at it this way. There are two doors that are open, one for heaven, one for hell. At death, all men will pass through one of those two doors. Sadly to say, most will choose the wrong door. Most people that we see around us in our culture, most people will choose the wrong door. Look with me at Matthew. If you would please turn with me to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7 verses 13 and 14. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And notice, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto unto life, and few there be that find it. Here we have the doors that are open. There are many that are going the broad way. There are few that we find that are going the narrow way. And that is evidenced in our society. It's evidenced in our churches. I mean, we just just take notice of our churches, the emptiness of our many of our churches. Many are going in the wrong door, the wrong way. Many have chosen that way. The broad way is the hell-bound way. The narrow way is the heavenly way. One of the great I am statements of Jesus is found in John chapter number 10. Look with me, please. One of the great I am statements of our Lord and Savior is found in John chapter 10. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. Jesus is the only door. He's the, he keeps the portal. He keeps that spot. He's the protector of the sheep. And he makes sure that, that only those who are his get into the sheepfold. Have you entered in through him? Have you entered in to the sheepfold through Jesus Christ as the door? Or as many in this world today and many religionists, many people who would claim some form of religion, they are seeking to climb up some other way, but yet not be able to be part of the sheepfold. Jesus is the door. He speaks in our passage 
In John 17, he says, the hour has come. In this case, the hour was the cross of Christ. The hour has come. Not only is the hour come with regards to the cross, but the hour is coming. Death pursues us all. The hour is coming. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of the truth. The hour is coming, and I think that's something that ought to be sobering to us all. The hour has come with regards to Christ. The hour is coming with regards to death, and the hour is now. The hour is now, 2 Corinthians 6 and 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, the hour is now. Don't wait. It's now. At the cross, the door of heaven was opened wide. It was opened wide for all to enter in. Not just a few elect, but for all to enter in. Matthew 27, it speaks of the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. That's to give us access. Before there was... No access. That veil kept us out of that access. Kept us from that. But at the cross, that veil was rent. It was opened. The way was opened up for all to come to Christ. Uh, We don't need to go to some priest. We don't need to go to some religious church. We can come boldly, individually before the throne of grace to find help. In the time of need. We can come individually to Christ and be saved. Not to go through someone else. And praise the Lord for that, aren't you? The veil was rent from top to bottom. And by the way, the fact it was from top to bottom says everything. Because God's the one that rent the veil. God did it. We see the hour of the cross in this passage but not only do we see the hour but we see something else here uh, we see the horror of the cross and and oftentimes when we think about the cross we only think about the horror of it and you literally just think about the cross the images of the cross the thinking of the cross the words of the cross certainly there's horror involved in the cross and every time I've seen any kind of depiction It's been in horror. Cross is a horrible place. Horrible, terrible, torturous way to die. Galatians 3 and 13. Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon anyone, everyone that hangeth upon a tree. Cursed. Cross is a horrible place. The horror of it. Certainly there was great horror there. And and at that day there was great suffering. There was great agony. There's great pain. There's great sorrow. We often speak only of the horror. And certainly that is right. That's biblical to speak of the horror of the cross. Because Christ did all of this. And he went through all of this for us. But here in our passage in John 17... He looks beyond the horror, and Jesus prays regarding the great honor of the cross. The honor of the cross. He says in verse number 1, 
These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Notice what he says. Glorify thy son and thy son also may glorify thee. He's speaking of the honor that comes by way of the cross. To glorify is to praise. It's to extol. It's to magnify. It's to lift up. It's to honor. Look with me at John 13. John 13, please. Verses 31 and 32. John 13, 31 and 32. Here at the Lord's table, before the crucifixion, in verse 31, and therefore, when he was gone out, speaking of Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. You see, yes, there's horror in the cross, but understand when it comes to Jesus Christ and we consider his cross work, his finished cross work, there's glory in that. There's honor in that. Is the cross of Christ that we... See the eternal Godhead glorified. It's through the cross. There is the glory of his power. If we look back at John 17, we see some of the things that we see bring glory here. There's the glory of his power. The idea of power here is authority. Verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. There's the glory of his power, the glory of his authority all power is given to me in heaven and in earth oh death where's your sting oh grave where's uh, your victory there is none because Christ through the cross has all power he has all authority so there's honor in the power the authority Uh, a king is honored and one way in which he is honored and lifted up is because of his authority that he wields The authority that he has, here we see it in the person of Jesus Christ. We see the the glory, the honor in the power, the authority. There's the honor, the glory in the giving. The second part of verse number 2. He says, begin, go back and read the entire verse. And as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Here we see the glory in the giving. Understand it's Jesus Christ that gives eternal life. Eternal life is a gift of God. He gave himself. I lay down my life. No man takes it from me. He volunteered. He gave himself. He gives grace. When we think about the glory of God, He gives eternal life. He gives grace to the undeserving. He gives mercy. He gives forgiveness. It's better to give than receive. Is it not? That's biblical. That's Bible. There's never been a greater giver than Jesus Christ. Never been a greater giver. That puts him in a position of honor, a position of glory, a position to be lifted up. Never been a greater giver than Jesus Christ. There's the glory and the honor of his giving we see out of verse number 2. 
There's the glory, the honor that's seen in earth. Verse number 4. The first part. I have glorified thee on the earth. There's the glory that's seen in the earth, on the earth. I have glorified thee. The glory of God is seen in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. John 1 and 14. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 and verse number 18. We carry on the thought there. Verse number 18 of John 1. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. He hath made Him known. He says, God... God, Father, I've glorified thee on the earth. He came. We've seen God the Father because we've seen God the Son in His Word. There's the glory that's seen on the earth. There's the glory, the honor that's seen in the finished work. The second part of verse number 4, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. There's the glory and the honor in the finished work of Calvary. That brings glory and honor. You ever feel a little bit pride and just getting the job done and then doing it well? Just something that says, makes us feel good about that particular kind of thing. Here, Jesus, he goes to the cross. He finishes the work. There's a finished work. There's glory. There's honor in that. This finished work brought redemption we mentioned earlier. This finished work brought satisfaction. It brought satisfaction to the righteous demands of God the Father. Isaiah 53. He shall see the develop his soul and be satisfied. There's glory in that. The fact that he finished all that Christ gave him to do. He completed the work. It's a finished work. It's done. When Jesus cried out upon the cross, it is finished. It was truly finished. Jesus paid it all. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's Jesus. There's glory. There's honor in that. In that hour that came, not only we see the hour that came, but we see the honor that came along with it to our Lord and Savior. The word finished is the same word that we find in John 17, verses 22 and 23. Actually, it's in 23. It's the very same word. Notice with me in John 17 and 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made, here it is, perfect in me. The word finished is the same word as perfect. Translated perfect. When God finished his work, it is perfect. He left nothing undone. Well, there's glory, there's honor in that. There's a glory extended that shines through the finished, perfected work of Christ for us upon the cross. Galatians 6 and 14, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's glory, there's honor in the finished work. There's glory seen on the earth. But number next, we go on, there's more glory, there's more honor to be seen. There's the glory seen in heaven. 
Verse number 5. John 17. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Not only do we see the glory that's upon planet earth, but we see the glory that's in heaven. Understand, he says, glorify me with the glory which I had with you before. This is a pre-existent glory. It's always been there. It's simply been veiled in human flesh, in human form. So that he could take upon the form of a servant and go and die upon a cross for us. It was veiled. And there's literally an unveiling of that glory in heaven. You remember. Show me your glory. No man can see the glory of God and live. You and I cannot see and understand the glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God. And literally breathe. And continue on. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. He came off the mountain. His face was, show, was so uh, glowing that they, they asked him to hide his face, to put a covering on. They could not look upon him because he'd simply been in the presence of a Shekinah glory of God. What an amazing thought. It was a preexistent glory. I had with thee. This speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. His deity, the glory that I had with thee, his deity, this again shuts down, it, it, it destroys all kinds of Mormonism kind of doctrine and those people who would deny the deity of Jesus Christ. It does not exist. That kind of teaching does not exist from the Bible because he is God. Dr. Wingate used to say, spell it, make sure you spell it right. It's not D. I-E, it's D-E-I-T-Y. It's deity. He didn't die, he's deity. He didn't cease to exist, he's always existed. The glory of God did not begin at the cross. It has forever been and it will forever be. We see the glory, we see his honor. It's in heaven. Not only do we see the glory that's pre-existent here out of verse 5, but we also see the glory that's petitioned. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. It's a glory that's petitioned. This is the formal request from God the Son to God the Father. It was a request that could not be denied. It's a request that could not be denied because of what Christ had done. Hebrews, book of Hebrews chapter number 1, verses 1 through 8. A petition for that glory, the preexistence of the glory. Hebrews 1, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of His glory in the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. When He hath by Himself purged our sins, look where He went, look what He did. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as He hath an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. 
For unto which of the angels saith he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be unto me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire, But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness and is a scepter of thy kingdom. Here we see the glorious petition, the glorious preexistent. God answered that prayer. And he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. We see in this passage this high priestly prayer of our Lord. We see the hour, we see the honor. But I want you to notice, and we finish up here, I want you to see there's the hope. The hope. You ever feel like you just wish I had some hope? Wish I just could get a hold of some hope here. Well, there's hope in Jesus Christ. There's the hope. And understand this hope is for us. This hope is for us. John 17. The hope is for us. For us, you and I can have hope because of the hour. We can have hope because of the honor of Jesus Christ. This hope is found in eternal life. Go back with me in verse 2. Thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Where's the hope? We have eternal life in him. That eternal life has been given to us. That is your hope. The hope is found in eternal life. The hope is found in that you are a gift. You are a gift. You and I are a gift as children of God. We've been given by God the Father to God the Son. And God does not take back that which He has given. He does not take back the gifts that He gives His Son, nor does He take back our salvation. It's fixed forevermore. Names written in the Lamb's book of life cannot be erased. The hope Our hope is found in the fact that you are a gift that's been given by God. Hope is found in eternal life. The hope is found in our knowing Him. Verse number 3. And this is eternal life, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. The hope is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship found through this book. This Bible. We have a hope in our knowing Him because we know Him. We have a hope in the fact that we're a gift. We have a hope in the fact we've been given eternal life. We have hope. That hope is found in the received Word of God. Verse number 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I have come out from thee, And they have believed that thou didst send me. There's hope in the received word of God. How do you know that you're saved? Because the Bible tells me so. Our hope is in the received word of God. This is something we can take with us. It's something we can hold. It's tangible. It's real. It's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It is God's word. And it's applicable for every issue of life. 
How can, where am I going to find my hope? It's here in the Bible. It's in Jesus Christ, in my eternal life, in the life that's been gifted to me. The fact that I am a gift. Uh, the fact in knowing him, that personal relationship, the received word of God, the hope is found there. The hope is found in Christ praying for us. Look at verses 9 and 10. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Question, are you God's or are you Jesus Christ? Answer, yes. Yes. And God says he's praying for us. He's praying for us. When he petitioned that the glory would be received, that God the Father would give him the glory, that that petition was rightly requested, was given immediately. Sit thou here on my right hand. Completed the task. What God prays for, what Jesus Christ prays for, it gets the ear of God the Father. It makes a difference. The hope is found in the fact that Christ is praying for you and praying for me. Oh, isn't it good to have people praying for us? So good. But then to think, Christ is praying for us, making intercessions for us. By the way, that's his ministry now in heaven. Gone to prepare a place, so while he's building, he's praying. I don't know what all that looks like there. I don't have to worry about that because the promises are sure. But we know God's praying. Our hope is found in the fact that Christ is praying for us. Our hope is found in God's keeping of us. In God's keeping of us. This we find hope, verses 11 and 12. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. These disciples, these followers, I'm no longer here. I'm going to be caught up. I'll be ascended back to heaven, but these are still here. And I am come to thee. Holy Father, keep thou thine own name, whose, uh, those whom thou hast given me, keep through thine own name, excuse me, thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. There's the keeping there. How do we have hope? Because of the keeping. While I was with, thee in the wor- with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. This speaking of Judas, of course, Judas did not lose his salvation. He was never saved. He was never saved. God lost none of them. I've kept them all. We can have hope in the fact that God keeps us. We're not throwaway children. We're kept children. Hope is found in his keeping. The hope is found in his promise to us. Verse number 24, his promise to us. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, look, be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Here's the hope that's found in the promises of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, Father, I want them to be where I am. Eternal life. The hope is found in the promise of heaven. This, my dear friend, is eternal security that's undeniable and unshakable. This is security in Jesus Christ. This high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. Yes, he was praying for himself. He was praying for his disciples. He was also praying for me and he was praying for you. There's reason to have hope this evening. Because of the hour, because of the honor of Jesus Christ. That honor can never be taken away. He is forever Christ. Forever King. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's forever that. It'll never be rescinded. He'll never be overthrown. He's Jesus Christ. And He's our Savior. He is our hope. I hope that you know Him that way. I trust that you know Him as your hope this evening. Do you need something to take hold of? Can I encourage us tonight? Let's take hold of Jesus. He's worthy. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.